there the wrong way. There's always that moment of truth. Will they hear the words? Uh, welcome back to those of you who have been traveling. Um, I am not the pastor of the spring in Tempe. Um, I, I, I just come by every now and again. Um, I'm really glad to be here. My name is Luke Parker, and uh, I'm the pastor of a church plant that we planted uh, like a year ago called the Spring Midtown. And yeah, uh, there's some great stuff going on up there. And I send you, uh, I bring you, I suppose, uh, greetings from my brothers and sisters uh, who just keep having babies up there. I don't, do people just keep having babies here? I don't, like, what's going on? It's great. Yeah, but, but babies on babies on babies. It's fantastic. Uh, tonight, we are continuing in a series called It's Go Time. It's Go Time. Yeah. No, that's not, okay. It's go time, but it is go time, and somehow I seem to be punctuating my every sentence with, with that move. Uh, we're going through the book of Joshua, and tonight we're going to be in Joshua chapter 7. Uh, we're going to start at verse 16, if you want to follow along with me. We're going to read a, a story about a tragedy. It's going to be fun. It's going to be really, really fun. I don't know, am I doing that? Is that just, that's me? What am I doing? All right, hopefully I don't keep doing it. All right, Joshua chapter 7, we're going to be starting at verse 16. So, Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. He brought near the clan of the Zerahites, family by family, and Zabdi was taken. He brought near his household, one by one, and Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel. Make confession to him. Tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, It's true. I am the one who sinned against the Lord God of Israel. This is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels, then I coveted them and took them. They now lie hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in the tent with the silver underneath. They took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites. They spread them out before the Lord. And then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, son of Zerah, with the silver, the mantle, and the bar of gold, his sons and daughters, his oxen, donkeys, and sheep, his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord is bringing trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him to death. They burned them with fire and cast stones on them and raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, that place to this day is called the Valley of Achor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord Jesus, we, we thank you. We really do thank you for a text in Scripture that has much to say about who we are called to be. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would speak through Scripture tonight, uh, through an ugly and confusing text, because we know this is the Bible, God, and we know that you speak in the Bible, even the parts we don't like. Sometimes...
Hello? Keep talking, keep talking, keep talking. Hey, all right. Sorry about that. We just thought there would be a comic hour before this all went down. Um, yeah, so lately, I've been baking a lot of bread. Uh, I find that baking bread is exactly the kind of baking I should be doing. Because there's four ingredients. Three, if you don't count water. And I love it. Because there's really only one instruction. Which is that you just need to mix the ingredients. And then leave them alone. Put them away in a dark space. Give them some time. Boom. You got bread. And then you bring them to somebody's house and they will be absolutely blown away that you made you made bread from scratch you made fresh bread they just they go on and on and on about it which is fantastic because it combines my love of being praised with my love of laziness and those two things there's very low input extremely high reward i'm going to bake bread all day every day because i don't have to do any of the work the yeast does all of the work this little thing but a little goes a long way. You leave it alone, put it in a dark space, give it some time, and boom. Sin is like that. A little goes a long way. Leave it alone in a dark space. Give it some time. Boom. That's what happens to Achan in this story. But the truth is, that's a familiar story. You know it, and I know it. We've seen it so many times. It's on TV every time a politician gets caught or in the grocery store checkout line. Anytime you're looking at a tabloid and some celebrity has gotten themselves in some kind of scandal, when a teacher or a pastor or a cop in our neighborhood gets busted for something, or an old friend, or someone from high school, or somebody in your family, you start hearing whispers and rumors, and then you see something on social media, and you watch just an explosion as some private secret suddenly becomes public. And we always have kind of the same reaction. I don't, well, maybe you don't have the same reaction, but I do. It's always this mixture of anger and frustration mixed with pity and compassion. Like, I'm just, I feel so bad for you, but I, how did you not know? How did you not know that was going to happen? How did you not see this coming? In the world in which we live, like, you didn't think, what, you thought you'd just ignore that and it would go away and give it enough time and it'll disappear? That's not what happens. We know that. This was worth risking everything for? This? Everything? And we shake our heads And deep down, we feel this weird kind of fear. What if that happened to me? What if somebody shined a spotlight on my life at exactly the wrong moment or exactly the right place? What is there lurking away inside me that that I'm really hoping I don't even see, let alone somebody else? And this is what we see in the story of Achan. But you might be surprised by this. If you have been at the spring for the last few weeks, you know we've been reading the book of Joshua. And so far, it's been 
pretty great, actually. You've been hearing lots of words about being strong and courageous. The people of Israel have been just dominating victory after victory after victory. God has been doing miraculous, amazing things. Last week, chapter 6, it's the story of Jericho, the famous story from Joshua. People walk around and around these walls, and what happens? They fall down. It's amazing. It's incredible. And the end of chapter 6, and you can look at it with me, the end of chapter 6, which is verse 27, sounds like this. So, the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. It's incredible. Everybody knows there is a God in Israel. If you trust him, if you follow him, he destroys obstacles, blows them right out of your path. The enemies of God tremble. The people of God are stronger and more courageous than ever before. It seems like they are unstoppable. It's incredible. But the Israelites broke faith in regard to the devoted things. That's 7 verse 1. There's this pastor I know named Brenda who points out that the English version of this starts with a but in chapter 7. And I don't know you, but I don't think you want the next chapter of your life to start with a but. Man, he was incredible. I mean, you just saw it. He was so gifted, and he was going places, climbing the ladder personally and professionally. It was, it was something to watch. I mean, I just liked being around him because it was, you just knew you'd hear some new, new story of victory or success. It was incredible. But I loved them as a couple. They were fantastic. It was fun to watch them get together in the first place. And I was at the wedding, and they're just just—they're more fun to be around together. And they were talking about family, and they were talking about the future, and, and you could just kind of see good things coming for them. But, you know, she was thinking about turning her life around. She was thinking about giving up on some of these old self-destructive habits, getting some counseling, talking to some people who, who really know what life should look like and, and what it could look like, and processing through some of this stuff, not letting the past determine her future anymore. And along the way, she was talking about Jesus and what it would look like to follow Jesus and really to be all in, to be invested. And it looked like things were really going to change. But that ministry... Man, those people really, they, they were committed. They were there every week. They served. They were invested. There was a vision for the future. They had leadership. Stuff was falling into place. You could see momentum building. But the next story in Israel's life, the next chapter for Achan, for Joshua, it begins with a but because a little sin goes a long way, a long way. Back at verse 1, Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the Israelites. What exactly does he do? What are the devoted things? The Hebrew word there is cherem, and it's all over the place in the book of Joshua. And it gets translated devotion in my Bible most of the time, and probably in yours. 
but it's a really weird way of using the word devotion. We never use it that way in English. These are things that absolutely belong to God. And that means they're about to be destroyed most of the time. Israel is supposed to be like a cleansing fire in the promised land. They're supposed to go like a weapon in the hand of Yahweh and destroy evil, to kill the bad guys, and to rescue the good, to redeem this place and these people. And it's a little bit like a DEA bust of a major cartel, at least how it goes in the movies. I've never actually been to one of these. I don't actually know what it looks like. But in movies like Bad Boys, right, people show up to a huge villa, some amazing and palatial thing, and there are lots of bad guys inside. And they're wearing body armor and tactical helmets and carrying assault rifles. And there are some good people scattered around, but it's mostly bad guys. And there's a lot of gunfire going back and forth, people fighting tooth and nail because they don't want to go to jail and they don't want to die. And somewhere in the midst of it all, the smoke clears The battle is won, and the the dust settles, and you see Lamborghinis and Ferraris and just piles of Rolexes and electronics and money, so much money and bricks of cocaine. And all of a sudden, in the midst of all of these trappings of wealth, you realize that this is evidence of the terrible life these people have led. They have destroyed communities, they've destroyed families, they've murdered people they know to stay on top, to stay in power. And you see all of this stuff. What would you think of a DEA agent who puts a couple of Rolexes in his pockets? Who takes a briefcase full of money? A couple of bricks of cocaine? That's not a good guy. That's a corrupt cop. Now, maybe he's not as bad as the drug dealer, although that's a really hard case to make. But he's definitely on his way. And he changes the nature of the entire mission. It's no longer good versus evil. It's no longer a drug bust. This is government-sponsored armed robbery. This is criminals versus criminals. And God is not on the side of the corrupt. Achan is corrupt. And he has corrupted Israel's mission along the way. And God is not going to be on the side of the corrupt. Whether you are a cop or a drug dealer, God knows what's going on inside you. And he doesn't care about the role you play in society or how good you look to other people. He sees what's going on. And so God is not behind Israel anymore. But they don't know that. So Achan has effectively unloaded all of the guns. He's pulled all of the steel out of the body armor. He's taken all the power away from the army of Israel. And in verse 2, these people, they start talking about the next battle. They're going to go to a city called Ai, and they're going to defeat it easily because it's smaller than Jericho. Because it's not going to be any problem because God is behind us, and we only need a few guys, and, and we can take this down in maybe an hour tops. And they go out absolutely confident, strong and courageous, and they get slaughtered. They lose. And in verse 5, we hear that the men of Ai killed about 36 of them, chasing them from outside the gate as far as Shebarim, killing them on the slope. The hearts of the people melted and turned to water. The hearts of the people of Israel have become like the hearts of God's enemies. They act exactly the way the people do in Jericho and in other places in the book of Joshua. A little sin has gone a long way. A bunch of people die because Achan wanted a little cash. 
And we see in this story that in the book of Joshua, the opposite of courage is sin. The opposite of courage is sin. If if you want to live a life of strength and courage, you need to be intimately connected to the God of Israel. If you want to live a life of fear and weakness, you want to constantly be looking over your shoulder, you want to wonder when the shoe is going to drop, you, you want to feel like you're losing even when you're winning, ignore what God says. And sin is a word I keep using, and it's a very religious and churchy word. You might know it, and maybe it's been a while since you've heard it or thought about it. But it's really just a quick way of saying that we are ignoring what God is doing. That we're ignoring what God is saying. That we're ignoring what God wants us to do in life. We're doing wrong things. We're doing evil things. And that separates us from God. And when it separates us from God, it doesn't just separate us from some vaguely divine. It separates us from the source of power and strength and courage. And that's what Israel finds out in a painful way here. Because 36 people die. Husbands become, well, wives become widows. The children become orphans, people whose fathers and husbands and, and sons and brothers. And still, Achan doesn't come clean. There's this huge faith crisis in Israel. If you keep reading in the story, right, the people will begin to wonder, does God not care about us? Does God not? I mean, we lost. We're supposed to be strong and courageous. God's supposed to be behind us and we're losing. Like, Does God not care about us? Joshua and the leaders of Israel are out in the street mourning publicly, doubting God. Is, do you not care about us? And still, Achan doesn't come clean. They start taking tribes, right? God speaks into this and says, look, it's not me. You guys need to do some really hard searching. Look in your own tents. And they start asking tribe by tribe and clan by clan and family by family. And still, Achan doesn't come clean. And the inevitable message of this text is the question, what's in your tent? What are you hiding from? What are you trying to keep secret? What are you hoping nobody knows about? What are you hoping that no one will notice? What are you getting away with, at least right now? Where do you think God probably has something to say and you're doing everything you can to avoid hearing about it? Where are you uneasy about the way that you're living your life? What's in your tent? Do you really think Do you really think that if you give it enough time, if you leave it alone, it's just going to go away? I don't understand Achan in this story. I I don't get him. It's confusing to me that he would steal these things. Because you look at this robe, right? It's a really nice robe, but you can't wear it outside the tent. Where'd you get the robe, buddy? I mean, that's the inevitable question of this. You can't, I mean, you have all these bars of gold. Do you have change for a bar of gold? Where did you get the bar of gold, buddy? They're going to stay buried in the tent forever. And do you, do you think that God doesn't see? How did you get the stuff in the first place? God tore down the walls of Jericho. Do you think he doesn't know what's in your tent? Do you think he doesn't know? You think you're really going to get away with this? And I think he does. They start calling tribe by tribe, right? drawing straws, and the tribe of Judah gets taken. There are 12 tribes in Israel. 
It's a 1 in 12 chance. You know, maybe they just got lucky. Then they go clan by clan, and it's the Zaraites. Now, at this moment, if you're paying attention, the heart at least starts to beat. You start to sweat a little bit. And if I'm aching, I, you know, let, I'm going to go to the bathroom and just get out of here. All right, run, man. Zabdi gets taken, and still he stands there. And you begin to wonder, does, does he just... Is he just ready to face the facts, or does he actually not know that they're going to choose Carmi and Achan, and suddenly Joshua is standing in front of him saying, okay, just, we know it's you. Admit it. And all of a sudden, in that moment, he admits it. But I wonder if this is really a confession, because if we already know it was you, it doesn't really feel like a confession. I don't see a whole lot of remorse in Achan's response. Because if you killed 36 of your fellow soldiers, I'm sorry, I was wrong. How can I make this right? I want God's mercy in my life. Instead, he's still talking about how nice the robe is, how much money he got. And he did get a lot of money. It's like $30,000 in our terms. But he's still focused on his greed and not on the wrong. And so there's no remorse that I see. No repentance, no change of heart, no, I, God, I, I want to come clean. I, I want to be done with this. I'm tired of hiding. I'm, I'm tired of looking over my shoulder. I know that the, this is just getting worse and worse and worse. And so they take Achan to the Valley of Achor, and there's this play on words in Hebrew. His name sounds a lot like the word for trouble, which sounds a lot like the word for well, Achor, and so... This guy named Trouble dies in the Valley of Trouble because of all the trouble he caused. And I got to tell you, I really don't like the end of this story. I don't like that this is in the Bible. I'm just being honest with you. It's ugly and brutal to me. But I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. I've made that decision, which means I'm stuck with the Bible. It means that there are going to be parts of the Bible I don't like, and then I have to wrestle with them. And figure out what's going on. Because sometimes right, the Bible comforts the afflicted and sometimes it afflicts the comfortable. And there's a decent chance that one of the reasons I don't like this story is I don't like how seriously God takes sin. Because he takes it really seriously. I want there to be a happy ending for Achan. A guy who killed 36 people and couldn't care less. And I want grace for him. I want this to end with a rosy, happy ending. I don't know why that is. Maybe because I'm hoping that God will do the same thing for me. Hoping that I'll just get a pass and I can keep living the way I want to live, how I want to live, and no one's going to know. I think maybe I don't like this story because I don't like the implications. That sin doesn't just affect me. It's going to affect my kids. Now, I know this. I know that the way I live my life will affect my kids. But I don't like hearing it. I don't like the idea that sin doesn't just affect me or my family, but it actually stretches beyond me. And it affects the people in my community. It affects the people I'm connected to. It affects even you all. And we know this. We know that our actions ripple out beyond us in ways we can't always control or predict. We know that we affect and hurt people even by little things that we do and we don't even mean to. And we see Achan do a lot of damage to a lot of different people's lives. And still, I think, well, I, I live in a time that says, well, what I do is my business. What you do is your business. 
If it affects me and if it affects you, then it, it, we don't really need to talk about it. So what I do with my time and my money, my body, my vote, my whatever, this is mine. And it's nobody's business but mine. And right and wrong, those really just have things to do with, am I enjoying my life or not? Those aren't objective realities. There's no one really watching. There's no one really at some point going to judge. There aren't actually consequences for the way that I live my life. And I don't like a story like Aiken's because I don't like seeing that death is real. And we hear in the New Testament that the wages of sin are death. But I want that to be a metaphor. I want to hear that like my life won't be very nice with sin. I don't actually want to see someone die a violent and brutal death because of the inevitable consequences of the actions he's taken. Because that has strong implications for me and the way that I live my life. And we can't run away and say, well, the New Testament tells a story about a different God, because it doesn't. The New Testament also tells a story about a man who dies a violent death, a violent death because of sin, who suffers the consequences of sin. One man dies, and it sets a nation free from guilt and corruption. It's the same story in the New Testament, and we know this. We know this about sin. We know that it sticks around, that even a little bit goes a long way in ways we can't always predict. There's a story I was reading recently in the Christian century. A woman was talking about being an elementary school pickpocket. She said, I was in kindergarten, and I saw a wallet that I wanted, and I took it. It was this little yellow plastic thing, and there was a dollar inside it. It belonged to a boy named Roland. And I took it. And I don't know if it's because I wanted the dollar or the wallet or if I just wanted to get away with something. But I remember the Inquisition. I remember the teacher looking around at each of us and looking us right in the eyes. And I lied. And I got away with it. And I felt good about that for a couple of days. And then the guilt started to eat away at me for years. I was 10 years old and it's Years later, and I'm confessing to my mom all of a sudden late at night, weeping, and she can't quite understand what's happening. You stole something? No, a long time ago. And Somewhere in the middle of it all, she pieces the details together, and we decide we're going to mail the boy a dollar because I've lost the wallet because it's been so long. And I didn't really think about that for 30 years until it was my daughter's sixth birthday. And my mom sent over a box full of some stuff I had that she'd found in the basement. And my daughter's present was in there too. And I found a a children's wallet inside the box and wrapped it in some paper and some string and put $6 in it. Gave it to my daughter and I didn't realize that it was the wallet until the next morning when my daughter was excitedly exploring her gift. What's this? She asked. Oh, nothing, dear. That's just an ID card with the name Roland written on it in purple marker because your mom accidentally stole that wallet. Actually, she just stole that wallet from her locker mate nearly 30 years ago. I want my iniquities to be blotted out, but sin seems to have an uncanny staying power. Sin seems to have an uncanny staying power. And if I'm honest, when I look at my life, I can tell you that that's true. And I know that I want a way out. I want a way out. I don't want to hide like Aiken does and eventually just be trapped. I actually want to come clean. And there's good news in the course of the Bible, not really in the story of Aiken. There's good news as we keep reading in the New Testament 
about a guy named Jesus who dies a violent death to redeem a nation from guilt and corruption. Because Jesus, the life and the death of Jesus, demonstrates beyond all doubt that sin has an uncanny staying power. That a little sin goes a long way. That a little sin will destroy even the best of lives. A little sin goes a long way, but the grace of God goes further. We see that on the cross. That a little sin goes a long way, but the grace of God goes further. And we hear in the New Testament that if we confess our sins, our God is faithful and just and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That there is now, now, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who turn to Jesus and cry out and say, I've been hiding for years. I've been hiding for years and I don't want to anymore. I'm done. I know that you know. I know that I know. I know that I'm hurting other people and I want out. And the good news of the gospel is that sin goes a long way, but the grace of God goes further. If you are stuck in the desert of despair, I promise you the grace of God goes further. If you are stuck at the height of failure, I promise you the grace of God goes higher. If you are stuck in the pit of hell, I promise you the grace of God goes deeper. A little sin goes a long way, but the grace of God goes further. Friends, it is time to come clean. Time to stop hiding, time to stop running, time to stop pretending like sin isn't that big a deal. It's time to come clean. Time to find out that a little sin goes a long way, but the grace of God goes further than you could possibly ask for or imagine. Amen? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we know, we know that there are people in this room right now who are stuck. And we know that because we've been stuck. And we feel trapped. Trapped by our own decisions and trapped by the decisions we're making to try and hide those decisions. And it just becomes this tangled web of lies and failure and fraud. And God, we just feel scared and exposed when we hear stuff like this. Wondering if we confess what you're going to do. What's going to happen. And God, we know that there are consequences, but we also know that you take the worst of those consequences on yourself. And we pray, God, right now, we pray that we would come clean. That you would meet us in all of our sin and our failure. That you would redeem us and restore us. Make us new. In the name of Jesus, amen.